This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington. Today on our Late Boomers episode, our special guest is Mary Trahan, Louisiana native and TV drama writer in Los Angeles. And I'm Mary Elkins. Mary Trahan has created an action and cop show niche for herself, and she's written for such shows as the CW's teen spy series, Nikita, and Fox's long-running favorite, Bones. She wrote on Chris Noth's FBI thriller, Gone, and most recently, ABC's The Rookie. I have to tell our listeners that Mary is a friend of mine and a true inspiration. Mary, I'm so happy to welcome you to our show. Say hello to our listeners. Hi, everybody. I have to say thank you for asking me. I'm really flattered to be here. Ah, that's sweet. We're glad to have you here. You began your career reporting for Los Angeles Magazine and Spin. Was transitioning from writing for magazines to writing for television very difficult? Um, yeah, I mean, it was hard. I think getting into television, no matter what, is hard. Um, as a writer, as a producer, as an actor, I think it's hard no matter you know what your entry point. Um, for me, it was about doing both at the same time to see which would pan out. So I think what was hard about it was having a day job and then writing at night. Um, And I mean, I think a a lot of writers go through that, Um, which Mary, I know you experienced just working on on your fiction writing. It's like, you know, you have a daytime life and then the day ends and that's when the writing begins. So yeah, I think that was hard. That was, uh, it was tiring, yeah. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> um, so who or what inspired you to follow this career path? Growing up in Louisiana, did you always want to be a writer? I think I did, yeah. I think, I think you know early on if you are creative and if you want to pursue that as more than just a hobby. And I would say that I knew that probably from a really young age in a way that I didn't know intellectually, but I... I knew somehow in terms of lifestyle, you know? Um, So I always knew that I wanted to maybe be like a painter or a writer. And uh, I went to school at UCLA. So I'm out here in LA and I'm starting to, you know, be exposed to everything in this world that we live in here, um, which is, you know, a different world than any other city in America because so many people are out here to chase that dream, right? So, yeah. I got to see a lot of that firsthand and I thought I was going to be a journalist. That's what I thought. Um, I was really into magazine writing and I still am. I think it's a really cool art form. Um, You know, not just like celebrity profiles or anything, but like real long, these magazine pieces that you read that are like 10 pages long and you get sucked into them and they're almost like a little mini nonfiction book. 
So I got really into that. And I kind of fell into it because I worked as an intern at Los Angeles Magazine when I was still a college student. So, um, and to me, that was more about just meeting a whole bunch of writers. There were a whole bunch of people there at that magazine who were really talented, really hardworking. A lot of them had come out of the LA Times and had like really strong journalism experience and just started kind of reading everybody and watching everybody and figuring out what I was into. And um, I did that for a long time. I freelanced for them for a really long time. And, um, you know, freelancing doesn't pay the bills. So I was actually working at studios during the daytime and I ended up working at uh, 20th Century Fox Television. Um, and the rest is history. I mean, I started, <laughs> I started reading scripts there. I started, you know, paying attention to all these shows that, you know, the executives that I worked for were covering. And, you know, there were some huge shows at the time. This was before streaming, but like 24 was a huge hit and Family Guy had just, you know, been re-aired and um, Dana Walden and Gary Newman were the studio heads. And um, there's just a lot of action going on in that office and it was a cool group of people and it wasn't that big of a number of people. So I just kind of watched what everybody did and paid attention to everything, the business side, the contract side, the casting, um, and then shows like who runs shows? What's a showrunner? What's a TV writer? What's, what's a TV writer contract? And uh, I was like, why am I not doing this? So <laughs> that's yeah. how. Yeah, what a yeah. great time. So you had a there. whole series of mentors, it sounds like, all the people on the magazine and all the people yeah. at the studio. Yeah, that yeah. you looked get, up to. I get really excited about other creative people. And, you know, there's a way to be creative in, in this business where you are also a business person. It doesn't mean you know, you, you don't have to be writing scripts to be a creative doing what we do. Um, you can be an executive who gives notes. You can be um, a, a non-writing producer. You can be a writing producer. You can be an assistant director. You know, one of my most creative friends right now is a, a first AD on an Apple TV show. Um, she doesn't have any writing credits, but I always tell her, I'm like, you're a writer. Like you have great story instincts. So I think to me, it was just about paying attention to everybody who was around me and and not in a wide-eyed, sorry-eyed kind of way. I mean, I don't think I was naive. I think, you know, I was 17 when I moved to LA. I was 17 when I started college. So I think, um, I think, you know, by the time I was 29, 30 was when I got my first staff writing job, but I spent my whole 20s trying to find that. So that was a 10-year stretch. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, I just saw all these great people and they all just held my hand and took me along. I think it's... <laughs> I think we all know, especially as women, I think we all know that you find mentors here and there and some of it comes in drips and drabs and through weird random happenstance or tidbits. And sometimes that other person doesn't even know that they've mentored you. Sometimes it's very spelled out and it is very distinct mentor-mentee relationship, but uh -huh. sometimes it's just, just little pieces here and there, you know? Right. And it's good to be able to recognize that. What was your first TV gig like? And how did that come about? Um, it was a show called Breakout Kings. And it's now on Netflix stream. Um, it was it was interesting because I had worked. OK, after I worked at 20th Century Fox Television, I went to work on a show called Prison Break, um, where I was the assistant to the showrunner, but I was never on the writing staff. and. That was just like 
grad school for me. I mean, the team of writers that made up that show and, you know, Prison Break was a really huge international hit. Um, and this is before streaming. So that, you know, it was a different, it was a different standard to meet to be, you know, on the air for four seasons on a network show doing 22 episodes a year um, and having this huge international um, profile, which the show had. So for me, it was about meeting all those writers. And two of those writers spun off and created their own show called Breakout King um, after Prison Break was canceled. So I had sort of made, I made my, I wouldn't go away. I wouldn't go away. I wanted them to take me along. Um, mm. And they did. They gave me my first staff writing job. But, you know, that was not, you know, after many, many, you know, hurdles of proving that I was, you know, wanted to be there and proving that I could do it and writing the script and fixing the script and writing it again and fixing it again and, uh, you know, being scared to show them my writing and hoping that they believed in me. And, you know, I think all those are, are part of the journey to that first staff job. And you were so good at putting yourself right where you wanted to be and needed to be. You put yourself right where you, where they could take you along, right? I think that's really important. I think that, and especially as women, I think that it's a tough thing to do because we can't control what comes our way. It's, you know, not to get too philosophical, but, you know, we all know we can't control everything. So what you can control, you know, try to really, like you said, put yourself out there on the things that you can control. And it's like fishing, you know, just hope that someone's going to take a bite, that someone's going to just see. And that perseverance, I think, is the key. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my husband and I talk about this a lot because he's also a TV writer. Um, and I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of, it gets hectic when it's two TV writers in one household. Um, <laughs> but we talk a lot about, he has this saying, he's like, um, what does he say? It's talent, talent needs temperament. That you really need both. If you're, if you're excellent in both categories, wow, you're amazing, <laughs> you know? Um, there have been times when I wish I was, my talent was more developed. There have been times when I wish my temperament had been more on point. You're never going to be perfect in both categories. But for me, I've tried to, when I thought I was doing better in one, I tried to, you know, up it in the other category and just, it's like increasing your chances at, you know, for opportunities. Um, I think that's, that was kind of my, the way I went about it early on, but I think it's really personal. I think a lot of people go about it in you know many different ways yeah tell us about working in the writers rooms were you the only woman in the room on any of your shows or one of very few women and yeah. how easy or difficult was that um yeah it's difficult <laughs> yeah it's, um usually yeah i'm one of a couple yeah um, i think one thing that's changed is staff sizes are a lot smaller than they used to be so the prison break staff that, you know, when I worked on that show, I think it had like 12 or 13 writers. Um, and then Breakout Kings, which was my first staff job, which was the season after prison break ended, I think it had maybe six writers. Um, so you saw a squeeze and, you know, I guess budgets and I, the beginning of streaming really changed a lot of things because the way networks were spending money on their shows was starting to change. Um, and I think 
yeah, the staffs were smaller. So I think you might've seen one or two women on each of those staffs on like a typical cable staff at the time. Um, and then when I was on Bones, that show had been around forever. I mean, it had already been on for 10, a decade before I joined. And mm. there was some joke about how like almost every writer in TV has at one point worked on Bones. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there were, we were, there were a handful of women there, a small group of women, but they, I could tell they were trying really hard you know, at that time um, to make sure that there were women on the staff and to include women. I definitely felt that there. And um, Emily Deschanel was number one on the call sheet there. And she is, I think she was number one on the call sheet, might've been number two, but um, she was just an awesome feminist and like an awesome just person and, and was just beloved there. And I, I felt the trickle down effect of that when I was there. Awesome. So it wasn't difficult to be heard or have your opinions, uh, you know, uh, expressed or um, actually getting your scripts approved. Uh, no, I think I think the challenge is in the writer's room for women. I think on the page, I think you are who you are on the page and it's hard to deny whether you are giving them what they want or not. Um, which, by the way, I've been in both places where on the page they were like, wow, and I've been in places where on the page they were like, no, this isn't what we want. Um, but I do think as a woman in the writer's room, it is still uh, a real challenge to be heard. Even with a female showrunner? Um, I can't speak to that because I've never been on a show with a female showrunner. Um, mm. I've been on, I've, I've been exposed to all different kinds of writers. I've worked with some that are just the most amazing. You could talk about stories till the end of time. And um, I've been on some where you can't even really get eye contact, a, a true eye contact with the showrunner or, you know, I've, I've started jobs where within the first week, I, I like probably won't stay on the show for more than one season for reasons beyond my control. You can feel it. Um, so I, I think that there's so many factors, right? Because writing has so many elements to it. Um, just even write, just writing the written word on the page has so many elements to it, right? Mm -hmm. It has, you have subtext and you have dialogue and you have action writing and you have, you know, screenwriting is such a specific format. You have like flow and, you know, how is it choppy? How long are your scenes? How, you know, how much tension is there? Um, even your word choice means something, even even the way you try to make these characters sound like uh, Emily Deschanel's character on Bones had a very specific vocal, almost like a tick by the end of the whole, you know, by season 11, she had a very specific way of speaking, her character did, and you had to write to that. And uh -huh. so there's so many elements involved. And then add to that the room, which is a whole different beat of knowing when to speak and who to speak to and when to sound pleasant and when to, you know, when to not back down and when to be, it's very tricky. There are so many variables. Um, it's very, very tricky. Yeah. But there, you know, there's a longstanding joke that about women in the writer's room where like, I was told the joke when I was an assistant on prison break. And the joke is that you say something and then 20 minutes later, someone else says it who is not a woman. And, and then they love it. And they're like, yes, we're doing that. We're doing that. It's great. Brilliant. And in your head, you're like, I said that 20 minutes ago. Oh, uh, that's so true in every executive room. Exactly. It's, and I don't want to, I, 
I don't want to bag on TV writing. I feel like this is our world. I, I feel like I know that this is other industries. I know, I mean, my mother owns a preschool and it's all female employees. And I know that this happens at her business too. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not unique to TV, but to, yeah, to say it's not there would be a, just a total lie. I mean, it's mm -hmm. definitely there. Definitely. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, times have changed a bit since uh, streaming took over yes. and that's, that staffs were smaller. Any other changes that you've seen? Oh, I think it's, I think it's just better. I think it's more exciting. I, I mean, don't don't we feel that way as viewers there's so much to choose from it's i get goosebumps thinking about how much is out there and how many people are getting their stories to millions you know it's just crazy i mean think about it used to just be like the big four or maybe you know even i don't know when my mom was a kid like how were there three i don't even know you know in 1955 but but now i mean just think about it. Just think about, I ran into our, Mary, Mary's my neighbor, I should admit. I ran into our other neighbor, Brian Birchfield, and he's like, every time he sees me, he's like, he needs to know what he should be watching next. He always asks me, <laughs> watch next or, or, you know, what should I stream? And I feel like I'm almost reclumped because I have a two-year-old and I'm tired and sometimes I'm not up on pop culture right now. So, but it's really fun. It was fun to hear from him. Like he had just watched that Beach Boys documentary. I don't know if you guys watched it. Yeah, it's great. He's like, it was so good. And I'm like, I know we watched it last night. And the fun of like that type of excitement that we get to share about TV that is so different from what it used to be. When Friends was a giant hit, you had to wait till every Thursday night for it to come on. And, and I, I read this tweet last week about someone was like this is just a test but i want to hear from i want to hear from my followers how many people know what it feels like to to turn on your dial at that certain time at 8 p.m on a thursday and thinking it's a, a new episode and it's a rerun yeah <laughs> and your yeah. Dream, your dreams are shattered like that's not a thing anymore and and even though you know we probably feel like oh they're missing out that was a cool feeling where you had to wait for it the upshot of that is there's so much more to choose from and so many more people are getting to talk about their view of the world because these stories are, they're just stories. They're just us telling each other, it's a volleyball match. Like, here's how I see the world. Oh, here's how I see the world. That's how I think of shows at least. I mean, it's entertainment, but it's also, people are seeking a feeling and they're seeking a feeling of, I think COVID has showed us this a lot, a fe uh, some kind of connection, some kind of, understanding of you know this is the reason why storytelling is like the oldest you know it's been going on since beowulf like yeah i i agree with that and and has every series you've worked on been the same as far as creating the final product uh and what i mean by that did all the writers contribute to every script or on some of them did each writer create his own script yeah you her own or her yeah. script. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. Usually you start off at the beginning of the season, kind of we call it what we call blue sky, where you are kind of just figuring out what the season is going to be. Maybe something really big is going to happen in the season. Like when I started on Nikita, we knew that a giant thing was going to happen. We knew there was going to be a proposal. Um, and it was figuring out like, you know, where that's going to fall in the episodes. And that is more of the group, right? The group talks about that. And usually the showrunner has an idea in his or her head about 
how they want their season to look. And I find, I mean, just from my experience, the, the showrunners who were the most talented and gifted really produced the best shows. I mean, I, obviously it's a group effort. And a lot of times you get assigned an episode and a different writer will go off and write a different number episode in the order. So at the beginning, they might say, okay, you're episode three, you're episode four, you're episode five. Every now and then you team up with another writer, you know, they'll be like, okay, Mary and Corey, you're writing this one together. And you kind of, you know, a little bit ahead of time, maybe. Um, but I think when the showrunner has, is just, the more talented the showrunner is, to me, the better the show always is. Because okay. it has more continuity and it has more of a viewpoint. And it was a tricky thing because you're there to deliver what they want. Because it's their yeah. show. Um, yeah. They're a small business owner, the way I see it. And you're there to you know keep the business afloat and do you aspire to be a showrunner um yes and no <laughs> i would like to be a show creator um i think maybe when my child is older i would, mm -hmm. I would yeah. be more attracted to that job it's it's not a glamorous job time consuming it's a really hard and time consuming job and um for me i think what's interesting about it is the speed that these people turn out scripts. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still really impressed by it when I see a showrunner stay up all night and just crank something out. Um, that is not only is it a viable draft, but like they're going to prep off of it the next day. That means everybody is waiting for that. Everybody, the transpo guys, the lighting guys, the, you know, every actor, um, there might be an actor who has one line in that, you know, a guest actor, there might be a major guest actor who, you know, um, is bigger than the show itself. I mean, I've seen that happen too. Like so many people are counting on that script and, and the showrunner ultimately is, is kind of the final say on how that script is going to come together. And a lot of times it comes together at five in the morning and that person has been up, you know, hitting the Red Bull. And I, I, I just find that job to be, uh, it's a crazy job. It's a crazy job. Do you have any fun stories about writing for your shows, about the stars or the other writers or the showrunners or others? Um, well, I have a fun thing about The Rookie. So um, anyway, so we're on The Rookie and it was Nathan Fillion who's the star of the show. And he's just like a really amazing actor. Um, and, you know, he, he was in soap operas, I think, at the very beginning. So he just knows how to do it all. And he's so charming. And every now and then he would just float into the writer's room from the stage. That was one of the stages was right across from the writer's room on the Warner lot. And he plays a cop in the show. And so he would come in the writer's room in like his cop uniform. <laughs> like, it was scary because he has a real presence. And at first when he came in, we were like, it just, we thought you were going to be arrested or something because. <laughs> That's what I thought you thought. Yeah. <laughs> he seems so real but i mean he was just cool that some of those episodes came about in a, in a funny way because like he shot a movie that he worked on with um pete davidson pete davidson oh, oh right oh, okay. of course yeah. of course oh, okay so so nathan and pete davidson had davidson had filmed a movie together they had worked on a movie together and um they had become friends and they were unlikely friends because nathan is like so he has like such a Boy Scout aura to him. And, you know, Pete is, has obviously like his bad boy um, image. 
So they made fast friends and uh, Nathan just came in the room and he was like, I want Pete to be on The Rookie. Like, I want Pete to be on the show. Can we like write an episode for Pete? And we're all like, okay. Um, <laughs> but I just love how that started because we did. And I think, I think we had this idea on the board as a group about um, maybe, and it could have been a holdover from a previous season, but like that, that Nathan's character in the show had maybe a father that he was estranged from or something. And so then we started talking about it and I, I hope I'm remembering this right, but it was something like, well, we're like, what if Pete is the brother that, that uh, Nolan, who was Nathan's character, never knew he had. And that could be really fun because then they could play brothers. And, and they did. And that became the episode. And it was kind of quirky. And it was like, I think the dad had passed away and his ashes were in like a Folgers can. And oh, um, but just like the fun, to me, those are the most fun things that happen in TV where it's like, if he wouldn't have said that and he wouldn't have come in the writer's room and we hadn't already had an unfinished story, you know, we knew we wanted to do a story about Nolan's family. We didn't know what the story was. And yeah. so to me, that's a great example of you're not supposed to have the answers all the time. You're supposed to have a bunch of question marks on the board. Um, and then things Un happen. And then Unplanned surprises. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned that you're a new mom and yeah. your son, Alex, was yeah. born two years ago. Yeah. And so has that been real difficult to juggle your career with being a mother? Yes. <laughs> yes. Simple answer. Yes. For sure. I watched, um, I watched the Harry and Meghan Oprah interview last night. I did too. Okay. Me too. So one thing I was thinking of is how, how clear Megan was when she talked and when she was asked a question and her answer was just sometimes just a word yes or no <laughs> then she would pause and then you know Oprah would be like well tell me more and then and then she would say more but I, I thought a lot about that I'm like sometimes the answers are yes and no and and really the answer to that question is absolutely yes it has been um it's been hard to try to be a mom and to try to um write well yeah. Well, you've been a mom and a new mom during the pandemic. Yeah. How did that affect you? And um, did it, were you writing during that time? I took time off. It affected me in a way that I think was beneficial to me at first, which I don't enjoy saying that because I think it was a very, you know, obviously it's been a very sad time for everybody. Um, and so many people have lost so much. Um, it happened to come for me at a point in time where I had, I had spent the first year of motherhood barely seeing my baby um, because I was on the rookie and it was really busy. Um, and honestly, I'll be honest, I felt like I was failing in both departments. I felt like I wasn't giving motherhood what I wanted and I wasn't giving um, the writing career what I w wanted in terms of output or stamina, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so right when all this started, which let's, let's be honest, it was a week ago. I mean, it was a year ago. This year week. ago. Yeah. Yes. Um, I just promised myself I was going to just take a breather and be with my baby. And I thought, oh, this is, this kind of falls at a good time for me because I was really looking for that. And I always felt like, oh, I might need an excuse, right? Because we feel that way as women a lot. When we step back from something or we're scared, we're never going to be let back in, right? Um, mm -hmm. We're scared that we have one more year on us and that we won't seem young. We won't seem fresh. We won't seem relevant. You know, this is, this is what every woman feels in every field, I think. 
um, at least in America. And and I, I definitely was at the height of feeling that way. And then when COVID hit, it gave me a chance to be like, I need a second, right? Because I went on the meeting to meet at the rookie when my baby was, I guess, I don't know, five or six weeks old. Um, uh-huh. And I met, I had met with a new agent when my baby was four weeks old. Um, and, you know, I now realize like, that's hard to do. So, and at uh-huh. the time, you're, you know, you're running on adrenaline because that's what we do, right? We're multitaskers and we're, we know how to do it. We just, since the beginning of time, I think we've known how to do that. We've known how to run on on adrenaline. But and of course you're married to a writer. So we were wondering how that affects your relationship and if you ever collaborate on projects and was he able to work during the pandemic? Yes, he's working right now. He's working below me, right in the room below me. And he is a writer and producer on um, Crank Anchors on Comedy Central. Um, and they, it's uh, John Kimmel and Jimmy Kimmel um, and Adam Carolla. It's like that group of guys who they've done a few shows together in the past and Dan's worked with them before. Um, so it was a good fit. They have a really good shorthand. I think a lot of television writing is about shorthand. Um, and so he is a writer producer on it, crank calling people from our pool house right now. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. So that's, that's been interesting. Does he love that? He does. Yeah. My husband is really funny and I think he finds it, he gets a kick out of the idea that he's getting paid to tell jokes. <laughs> that's, that's a real honor. Yeah. What are you working on now? And, and do you have anything going for the future? Yes. Um, I am working on two different things. One is a sample because you have to always have a new sample. If you want to go out and staff on your next show, they're going to say, what's your latest script that you've written in your free time? And you're going to say, what free time? Um, uh-huh. So you slowly but surely have to develop samples when you're, when you're not on a show. So I'm working on that right now. And then um, on the side, I was working on an idea with a friend of mine um, about, uh, it's about a woman who was enslaved and um, she was she's a real person and it's set in the 1700s. So I'm, I'm interested in not telling the same stories that I think I've always seen about how slavery took place in America. I've always seen the 1800s version of it. This is the the Constitution of the United States of America is just been ratified when my story opened. Oh. Um, so I think it's a, a piece of history that we don't always think about or see. And the idea that our founding fathers owned slaves. Uh-huh. Um, and and I'm very interested in, in, in the women and what, um, what it meant to be a mother at that time and how... What it meant to try to protect yourself and your family. And some of these enslaved people were owned. Um, they were the property of very high profile founding fathers. And so for me, I, I came across, I'll tell you how I came to the idea. I was reading a biography written by Ron Chernow, who is such an awesome, awesome nonfiction writer. He wrote, I think, the biography about Hamilton that Lynn Manuel became. Yes. Um, in love with. He's such an awesome writer and he really puts you in time and place. But I read a biography that he he wrote and there were just like 15 pages in there. It was an 800 page book. There were like 15 pages in there about 
a couple of women and a couple of, and their sons and their cousins and their husbands. And I was like, I could not stop thinking about those people. And I read that book, I think three years ago, and I've never stopped thinking about them. I'm like, that's the show I want to see. So I think when you are writing, you have to write about what excites you. Um, Cause there's no way to fake that. Right. So like your agent's calling you saying like, where's your next script and where's your next sample. And I think I have to, for me, at least I have to make sure I don't get caught up in trying to give them what they want. Um, and I think, you know, you get to a certain age where you're like, you kind of want to make yourself happy. You kind of want to try something that maybe you were scared to try before, or you didn't have any credits to your name and you couldn't take those risks or whatever. So for me, it's like, yeah, I'm working on a sample and I'm also working on, I don't know, my passion thing, which I think everyone's doing, right? That's great because I was going to ask you anyway, what, what you'd say to someone who's looking for advice and how to achieve success as a writer for television or films. And you said, write what you're passionate about. And I love that. But yeah, any other so. advice for them? Yeah, I think if, listen, if you've made the choice to pursue this, this is, this is a very difficult career path. So if you have dedicated yourself to the pursuit of it, um, I think I, I think I saw this quote last week. It might have been Jim Carrey who said this. It was on Twitter, but it was something like, if you're gonna try that hard for that that thing that is so hard and so almost impossible to reach, like you might as well like just do just fail doing what you love because you could fail e either way, right? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> really it, and i'm you know i'm butchering the quote but it was like you might as well just really go for it if you're going for it so yeah i think uh, you could sit here all day and say like how do you get an agent how do you get your first job how do you the truth is it's a billion little things that come together and everyone has a di totally different story of how they got started um but to me one thing that can never be faked is that you're being you i mean i wrote this the first script i ever wrote that wasn't a spec of something that was on the air that was just my original script. Um, I remember my agent at the time who hadn't even really signed me. I was just like in his pocket. He was like, oh, no one's gonna like this. Like it, I, I said it in Louisiana, which is where I'd grown up. And it was, it was uh, the main character was an Indian American and the B story were all African Americans. And I don't know if there were really any white people in the story, maybe a couple. Like, that's just the story that came out of me at that time. And I don't even know why. I can't even say why. I can't even remember what I was thinking. I was 26. But um, the point is, my agent was like, this is impossible to cast. So no one's going to take you seriously. They're going to think that you don't understand casting. And, you know, they're going to think you don't understand setting and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, turn on the TV now. Like, everyone loves New Orleans as a setting now. It's a huge, you know, my manager just produced a show called Your Honor with Brian Cranston and it that's set in New Orleans, that's a gorgeous show and so, so cool and with this great cast. And so anyway, that's just an example of like, I, I you know, I could have listened to him. I could have said, oh my God, he's right. I shouldn't, you know, things have to be set in LA and New York and everyone yeah. has their own opinions. Everyone has their own opinions. But, but I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to do what feels right for you because that script is what got me the next job and the next job and it's what got me such and such meeting where I talked to so and so person and we clicked you know so you gotta just write what you're interested in you, you you have to write what you care about and what you know what do you care about because there's so much on now that like I don't know about you guys but 
I decide that I don't care really fast. And my husband makes fun of me for it. He's like, oh my God, you're not even giving this a chance. Like, and I don't know what it is. Is it because I'm a mom now and I'm worried about like nap time and you know, when do I get to sleep and all that? Probably. Probably. <laughs> but it's interesting that like, you know, does being a mom change you that much or does just any life, any major life event change you, right? A death in the family, uh, you know, COVID, COVID, right? Just changed the way our brains worked and changed our priorities. So now I think when we turn on the TV more so than ever, it's like we, we're demanding equality now that I don't think was there before. It used to be exciting. Like there were one or two really big, like the wire and Sopranos and, you know, these big high profile shows, but like now every show is trying to be that good. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's pretty amazing because it challenges your brain to ask yourself as a writer, how can I try to be that good? And it, you know, it's, it's daunting, but it's also, the ultimate challenge. I mean, if you are on a basketball team and you, you know, are going to be on the court with LeBron at the same time, if you're on the same team as LeBron, or if you're on the opposing team and maybe you're only going to play for a minute and you're going to like stand at the free throw line and he's going to be two feet away from you, you have to bring it. And so to me, if you're going to take the chance to try this as a field, um, there has to be a love for the craft that that can't, you know, you cannot fake that inside of yourself. Now, I've had times in my own life where I'm like, do I love this craft enough? Um, just because I love nonfiction writing. I love journalism. You know, not every TV writer. I know so many TV writers who are like, I knew when I was four, I wanted to make a movie, right? Or like, you know, my dad, you know, I used my dad's camcorder and I made this movie and I knew I was going to be a filmmaker. I personally, I didn't have that, but I don't think, I don't think anyone needs to have the exact story as the other person. You know, for me, mm -hmm. I came from a big giant um, Catholic family and I came from a very specific subculture in, in Cajun, Louisiana. And there was a lot of oral storytelling and there was a lot of like jokes and, and like, it's kind of competitive. Like you have to like have a good joke and you have to come to the dinner table with something good to say. And you have to like, have it, you have to bring it. And so I guess for me, I was maybe attracted to that in life and thought out a career that maybe replicated that. That um, is so inspiring. And yeah. I, I would think that all of that is great advice for upcoming writers. Yeah. And on that note, our guest today on Late Boomers has been the TV writer, Mary Trahan. Is there anything we may have missed that you'd like to talk about? Um, I don't know. Did you guys get through all your questions? I feel, I hope I didn't talk too long. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You've and been more inspirational. Absolutely. I, yeah, I would say, you know, you just got to go for it. You just got to go for it and you got to spend a lot of time. I, I guess the one thing I, yeah, I will say this. I think if you could be, uh, both an introvert and an extrovert on some level inside yourself, it, it could really pay off in this particular field. Because writing, when you're on script, is very solitary, and it's just you, and no one's there. It's just you and the computer. And if you, if you aren't at all introverted or, or comfortable with that, then you'll be scared shitless, right? There's no way because you can't, you can't fake it when it's just you and the computer. But at the same time, when you're in a writer's room, it's not like being a novelist, right? You, you have to.
talk to everyone. You have to try to understand the dynamics and the politics and it's a huge part of it. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be my piece of advice, which is also, you know, what I aspire to. It's like, how do you balance both the introvert and extrovert in your, inside of yourself um, while you're pursuing the craft? And, and always keeping in mind the whole way, which is hard to do because we want pretty things and we want nice things and we want to live by the ocean and I want my pool and you want all these things, but like, why are you doing this? Because it's a craft and there's something about the craft that feels good, right? That feels like I'm doing something, I'm making something. And one person might see it and feel something, right? Uh, so actually, yeah, I think it's sticking to that. That's absolutely beautiful. And thank you so much, Mary, for that. And Mary can be reached on Twitter at Mary Trahan. So look her up there. Thank you so much, Mary. I'm inspired. Oh my God, thank you. I'm inspired. I won't even, I can't even take that compliment, seriously. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.